1: G'day and welcome to the Farms Vice Podcast with your host Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it or just love it, this podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the Farms Advice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Advice and let's get into this episode. This episode is with Ben Craw, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Oxley Capital Partners. They're working with family-owned and corporate food and agribusiness operators to secure growth and transformation debt and equity capital. They're looking to address a structural funding gap in the agricultural markets. So let's get into this episode and Ben Craw will dissect all that he has to do on this episode. Let's get into it. Ben Crawl, great to have you in the virtual studio. Coming from where are you coming from?
0: Coming from Bondi Junction at the moment. Coming in from the east, so uh, of Sydney. So yeah, great to um, great to be on Jack, and uh,
1: appreciate the opportunity, mate. Now, good to have you as like for the podcast. I like to get diverse conversations on, but I think one of yours, like what you're working with at Oxley Partners there is something that's quite interesting to a lot of farmers um, that it's looking that way or even just investors around the space as well. So thanks for coming on and sharing your expertise and some farms advice. No, thanks, Jack. So let's get started. People really wanna know like, who's the person behind the audio? Where did you start off and how did you land in your current role? And are you connected to agriculture from the beginning? Yeah, for sure. No, thank you. So myself um, grew up in
0: central west New South Wales in Orange. Um, I'm a son of a bricklayer. Um, So dad's a brickie. And as you would appreciate, you know, Orange is either 40 degrees or minus 40 degrees. So there's not many second generation bricklayers out there. Uh, (laughs) And I was probably, I wasn't tough enough for, for that trade so you know growing up in a regional center uh, orange has changed dramatically since I left there sort of circa 20 plus years ago um, and made the sort of, the switch up to come down to, to the city but you know, growing up there I, you know I went to school out there you know studied at you know public schools orange high and um, and then you know had a lot of mates um, that, that grew up in you know farms and and, and the like and you know when you were growing up in a regional centre it was a big part of you know what you did um, you know kicked around a, many of BNS and worked on a range of farms from you know vineyards uh, as that sort of really took off in that region preg testing use, you know a range of sort of factors there um, got to the point through high school where you know I wasn't probably. Um, I think I excelled in other areas of life as opposed to academia. So got to the point where I was like, well, where do I want to go? And that was probably my parents trying to give me some direction there. Uh, I was just playing it day to day. Really liked you, you know, agriculture and, you know, the, the people in the space and could see, a, you know, a real sort of opportunity in that world, but didn't really, you know, pursue that as, you know, with high conviction as a career. Yeah. Um growing up in Orange, obviously, the University of Sydney's ACT faculty was based there, which was known as the old Orange Agricultural College. Um, so I enrolled um, in ag College and did a degree in rural management. So that was more, you know, agricultural sort of production systems. Um, we did a, a, a little bit of the, the business 101 side where you did your sort of, you know, company law, uh, economics 101 and the like, but, but primarily it was long on, on agriculture. Um, So I finished up with that, Jack, and then, you know, I really wanted to move to Sydney um, to come down and work, you know, on – it was either move into the city or or go out on, you know, head west or north uh, on farm. I wanted to come down and really look to get involved in sort of the business side of of agri. Um, And, yeah, just sort of dusted off the CV that if I look back on now was uh, (laughs) – It would make me laugh that I've still got a copy of. Uh, Antoinette had in the paper and, uh, yeah, took a role in Sydney in sort of, you know, January 2001. That was at a, um, a, a sort of an, an advisory firm and they were building out their, their agricultural team. Um, so that was early 2001 and, um, yeah, been here uh, ever since. And obviously things have ebbed and flowed since then on, on where I'm at. But that's really the, the sort
1: of the beginning of, um, yeah, the journey. Yeah, what a beginning. I have probably got a similar story to your old man. I was laying bricks in London in the snow and I didn't actually know what thermals were. They said to go for thermals and I just didn't really worry about it because we don't really need thermals in Australia. <laughs> the next day well, I- that, that was, yeah, schoolboy school era. They probably sent you down to get a couple of um, left-handed screwdrivers and a, and a few things like that as well. Yeah, a couple of times. Lucky, coming off the farm, you know a few things. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, mate, yeah, great background there and leading you into your current role. Tell us about your current role, the firm, and what it's set up to do and why you set it up and the journey to get there. Yeah, sure. So current business,
0: uh, Oxley Capital Partners. So I'm the, the managing director and one of the, the co-founders, and that's probably a bit more of a, a buzzword uh, than anything with, with with putting that on, on the end of it. Um, essentially what we, uh, Jack, is a, you know, a corporate advisory firm um, that works uh, with groups across the food and agribusiness supply chain. So we either work in a, call it a mergers and acquisitions capacity where you may be uh, looking for you know growth, transformation or exit. So with exit, it's more around sell sides. That could be at farm gate where you've got uh, operators that are looking to exit or it could be, in that midstream you know, food processing, manufacturing. Typically our work is done more um, you know, at a, a larger family, corporate type of uh, activity uh, with the work we do uh, in that context. And then we, we do work with a, a lot of groups that are looking for growth capital and that's primarily equity or um, private debt. We don't do a lot of work in that bank debt space. We're not a broker. We more work under our Australian Financial Services License in that respect. Um, So that's sort of the sweet spot on where we look at more mid-market. In that sense, we don't sort of just try to punch up the top end of town. We we plan that mid-market space, which uh, we find that we're we're very well suited and connected
1: with um, within those engagements. Yeah, so you're on the ground creating the relationships for exits or even trying to find a place for the investors, the corporates to come in into the agricultural space? Yeah, for sure. You kind of liken it to sort of joining the dots. So you may
0: have an operator that's, you know, looking for, um, you know, across the supply chain, looking for capital to grow their business. They may not be able to achieve that through uh, retained earnings or or be tapping out on debt. So they may need equity. Uh, Or it could be a a founder-led business that's high growth um, and and equity may not be the best fit for them because that may dilute, you know, their equity position early on in a growth stage. So private debt may be best suited to that strategy, given it's non-dilutionary um, for that operator in that sense. So so we work essentially with the the operators or the doers, uh, and then we connect them in with either the um, money they require for growth or for an exit side of that. So we have some great relationships with the, you know, domestic and offshore sort of market or capital markets. And then we, we're connecting those in um, with the operators on the ground. But if you like our clients are the operators and those businesses that are, you know, actively uh, engaged across the food and agribusiness supply chain.
1: Okay. So, because of the current climate at the moment, farmland's through the roof, um, like right across Australia. um, That's just broadly speaking on what I know. But are you seeing a lot of exit from this as well? Because people are trying to capture why it's probably at the highest it's ever been. Um, They may be coming into retirement or they're just looking into like a new venture or just taking the opportunity of great money. Yeah. Yeah, there's a... There's definitely a
0: view on on the current environment, Jack, and, you know, for everything, there is a season, right, and and it's about cycles, and that's just not agriculture, but you look at cycles in, in, you know, a monetary environment, interest rates and where that would sit as well. Um, Yeah, definitely the fundamentals. Um, You know, we're still in a, a low interest rate environment, even though we had a rate rise there on Tuesday, Exchange rates are quite a favourable. Commodity prices, are, you know, are trending where they need in terms of record highs, and then you overlay that with you know strong seasonal conditions. So, yeah, you've got fundamentals that are really driving, you know, in particular, farm gate prices, and then you look at the capital side of that, where you've got a, a you know a lower transactional volume than what we've seen um traditionally and and the, the really great data set on that if you look at the rural bank farmland values report that was just released this week that know, yeah, up to date from 2021 you know it shows a compound annual growth rate of eight percent plus uh on farmland values over 20 years uh which is astonishing given the volatility that asset class would have versus you know, other asset classes um, in that context. So that's driving, um, you know, a lot of appetite. And then Australia's, you know, looked at very favourably from offshore. Uh, when we look at, you know, our farmers, uh, our management platforms here, um, we've got some of the, the most innovative, you know, farmers around. Um, we have a very low subsidy environment that they, you know, punch above their weight in. Uh, and then you overlay that with some of the, the macro factors such as, you know, sovereign risk and the like, and, and what's playing out in other regions, in particular the Black Sea uh, in Eastern Europe. So, you know, there's a lot of indicators there that are very positive um, at the farm gate level, uh, which is, you know, probably the activity may be somewhat uh, tempered um, through, through the, the, you know, as rates move, but, you know, rates will need to kick up somewhat and then there needs to be, you know, some adjustment on commodity prices before you'll, you'll begin to see, any sort of flat lining to to what people may envisage, just given the the nature of that. And then farmland is a great inflation hedge. We're moving into a, you know, we're in a tick over 5% of inflation. The US is at 8.5%. We haven't seen inflation rates like this for 20 years. So, you know, farmland values, our farmland is an uncorrelated defendable asset class. That's an inflation hedge. So a lot of those factors are continuing to drive. And then to to put it really simple, people on the ground, you know, the, the, the majority of the volumes through the, the local farming families that are chasing scale, chasing grass uh, and are backing those fundamentals to, to achieve that.
1: Yeah, I think like around us anyway, all the people I know, they're looking to expand once they can. They have probably sat on their own land like throughout the last five years of pretty harsh drought on the East Coast anyway and WA's had it as well, but if they're ready to expand, is that something that, do you work with expansion for your clients? Clients trying to find, yeah. like expansion yeah. in land as well as like production on their same piece of land? Yeah, well, you've got
0: clients that are looking, obviously, for scale, and we may have, you know, relationships that, that might be looking for good operators in that expansion as well, so it could be, uh, you know, we might be able to put it, construct a deal where, you know, a passive investor wants to acquire more land and needs a a management team that can operate. Um, And then that may work for that operator through expansion Um, or it could be that, you you know, you're looking to swap um, some assets out where people are trying to take some value off the table and that could be through succession, taking advantages of a cycle um, but don't really want to, you know, sell down the entire farm or want to sort of recycle that capital as well. So there's opportunities that you, you would look at in that context.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I've read a few articles like about you doing a bit of research um, for this episode. And what I looked at was the structural funding gap that caught me and what you're trying to address address within agriculture. Just talk to me about like what is the gap? Um, why has it been created and how are you sort of plugging that hole up? Mm. Yeah, so I
0: guess the, the structural funding gap that you talked to there, Jack, is really around, you know, there's been a lot of modelling done uh, over the years where, where, you know, there's ambitions for agriculture to be $100 billion um, production um, value in industry by 2030. Uh, we're at about $81 billion, um, which the estimates on the last sort of 6, 12 months kept improving given the, the seasonality and, and commodity prices. Um, and to do that, you need capital it. Um, that either comes through, you know, retained earnings, um, so profitability on farm or traditionally bank debt. Uh, banks have got, you know, a tick over $80 billion invested in the sector in Australia. Uh, we've got a very sophisticated domestic banking industry, uh, which is, you know, highly supportive of a sector. Um, but what you do have there is, you know, that there's certain lending thresholds where, you know, banks need to look at lending covenants and loan-to-value ratios and the like. Um, So you're always going to have a a funding gap between, you know, the production on farm, uh, bank debt, and then what's able to be achieved. Uh, You overlay that uh, with foreign direct investment, so investment that comes in offshore. Um, And last year with the recent, um, you know, FIRB or Foreign Investment Review Board reports suggested there was about $5 billion dollars. Uh, invested in agriculture locally in Australia the year before was circa eight. So it has come off. Is that a matter of um, COVID related where we can't get people with boots on the ground here, or is it a matter of, you know, there has been a lot of investment into productions type assets They've created platforms and then maybe that their investment is somewhat, um, you know, more for Bolton. So not kind of like, you, know, you to build a mine, you might need 4,000 people to run it. You need 400. So you go through cycles uh, in terms of that capital deployed as well. So, yeah, there's still going to be a funding gap um, that's required and then how you work with operators and how you work with investors and how you're able to put that together to ensure that um, you're able to structure, you know, a, um, a transaction that works for those parties. So typically, as we mentioned, we work with, um, you know, all operators across the supply chain because we're we're narrow and deep and we stick to our tram lines on our strategy so we only work across the food and agribusiness sector we don't do any other sectors Um, we can kind of dial up and down in the terms of the deal size we work on and then you look at the sort of capital stack which which what i mean by that is it equity is it debt is it for a um, you know a scale operator locally is it for a you know, a large-scale operator that's more in a corporate context that may look at, you know, either that institution or pension-type capital that's coming into to that business as well.
1: Okay, so a bit of a range there. So for farmers, um, they're looking for expansion or to get more people on private investment in farm operations versus self-funded for expansion. What's, what's the difference there and, like, what are people... Doing currently that you've seen? Yeah, well, if you've seen, obviously, there's been a big build-up in
0: equity valuations, Jack, in farmland, not too dissimilar to, you know, a residential housing market. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity to take some of that equity um, and recycle that capital to go through expansion. Uh, and then, you know, fortunately, we've seen some very favourable seasonal conditions with high commodity prices, so the profitability of those operations, not just the equity, which is more balance sheet, has really been driving a lot of that activity as well because, you know, their ability to deploy those retained earnings or profits yep. um, to chase, you know, further scale is one or to look on farm around maximising profitability. So there could be, you know, we were talking before, um, you know, podcast started around sort of ag check, some of those opportunities to drive, you know, further efficiencies on farm. Um, so it's just not all about sort of scale in, in that context. Um, there is an opportunity, but you may be a more of a niche, um, you know, high value product type operation where you're really looking at that on-farm efficiency and becoming that sort of low cost of production producer. And that's really going to drive your margins. So it's kind of a bit of um, bit of a difference there for different operators and what their sort of strategic rationale may be
1: like how the farmers would be looking for something different, like if they want to really improve their margins on farm um, rather than looking for that scalability, trying to get more land and investment into it.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there may be that option. And as I mentioned, you know, it, it's going to differ in terms of strategic rationale for those groups and scale for the sake of scale, yeah. you know, may not be the answer. Um you know, for example, it could be around improving margins on farm, yep. because you may have a low margin operation, and then you know, more scale, more production, and low, low margin. It's still this net net zero yeah. <laughs> game, yeah. right? So you've got to look to improve those margins, and through scale, that can be achieved through through the economies yep. of scale, and that's definitely achievable. Um, but as I mentioned, um, you know, if you're more in a, a high value-type commodity production. You might be tree nuts. Uh, You might be, you you know, uh, another irrigated enterprise where you're really focused on return per megalitre and how you're able to, you know, pull out those efficiency gains on farm.
1: Yeah, I think the way that you look at it and how, like, those high-valued items, um, just it can change the way that investment's going to work for it. But, like, for yourself, turning... We're looking for a hundred billion at the farm gate. You said, is it up to eighty billion already? Is it?
0: Yeah, eighty one was the last estimate from um, from ABS.
1: So, for yourself, how is private capital sort of pairing this along? Is it impacting um, and really driving that, like, optimizing farms and that scalability within agriculture?
0: Yeah, I think there's there's an opportunity there. I think, by and large, Jack the 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 powerhouse in the machine is the family farm, yep. the family farming operation. I don't think, you know, people probably give that farming fraternity enough credit. Um, you know, it's good to to frame up more of the large sort of corporate-type activity um, that typically is where, you know, m- my organisation participates. But, you know, when you look at the, the local farming operations, um, you look at you know, what I would refer to as a social fabric in regional communities. Um, You know, and and you're sort of based out there near Dubbo. I mentioned, you know, growing up in Orange, I spend a lot of time out there, mum and dad. um, My sisters are still out there. We actually lived in Orange last year. We packed up camp in Sydney for COVID um, so we can get our kids face-to-face in school. And you just see the prosperity in those, you know, those sort of communities, right? And it's just fantastic to see. So, So when you're looking at private capital coming into the space, it's definitely looking at a sector that's got optionality or diversification within it. Um, You don't want to be involved in something that's just peaks and troughs um, because you've got to play the timing on when you enter and when you exit. Um, Fortunately, what we're seeing with private capital, uh, though Jack, in in recent times is, is the ability for that private capital to look through cycles. Um, And what I mean by that, that, you know, a lot of some funds are closed-end funds. They might be a seven- or a 10-year investment fund. But now there's a lot of capital in the market that are looking at, you know, sort of permanent capital, um, you you know, lenses within agriculture. Uh, And there's a few funds out there that that are participating in that sense. So that will start to bring more of a a volume of, of those funds through. And that just gives more sort of diversification um, and optionality for a lot of the, the farming groups and it just creates liquidity in a market. So, you know, the ability to be able to, to acquire assets, sell assets. Um, you look at the disintermediation of the supply chain, which means, you know, cutting out the traditional middleman yep. where you've got, you know, the farmers looks and feels very different, the funding looks all very different and the market's very different and how they can connect up with just the, you know, having a smartphone. So that then ensures that you know, as an asset class, that private capital, um, you know, is it it, it looks at that industry quite favorably in terms of the returns um, it can achieve, how it can scale, how it might look to go niche, how it can look to fund to enter a new market, and then it's all you know providing opportunities, um, you know, at the farm gate and in, in typically in regional centers.
1: Yeah, I think you can see it in the media as well. The light's been shone across to agriculture as, a, as an asset to buy into as an investor. Um, over the years, how much has that changed for yourself? Like, were people looking at it as an asset class in 2001 coming into the field of agribusiness? Mm-hmm. Or was it quite the same, but our farmland values have just increased from 2000?
0: You know, I think farmland values to, to the side. You, you, you've got to look at the cycles of capital. And if you, if you were overlaid, you know, the farmland appreciation value, say from 2001, and you look at the economic shocks that come across, so you had sort of a, a dot-com, sort of tech crashing around there. You had a lot of um, corporate collapses in 2001 with the likes of Enron, you know, ANSET. Um, so, you know, things then you go into 2008 you come through a millennium drought, uh, and then you come through COVID. And you can still look at a correlation with those farmland days appreciated through those shocks. So that's what I mean by an uncorrelated asset class to that of, say, equities. So that's a, of interest. Um, typically, you know, farmland would sit in an, an alternate asset bucket or a, or a real asset bucket. Um, and what we've seen in recent times, Jack, is with the emergence of, you know, ESG you know, screening and criteria so environmental, social and governance and farmland playing you know, a critical role uh, to that. I think with, with whatever side of politics you sit on, yeah. um, it, it gets interesting. But, you know, farmland's going to play and agriculture as an industry will play a huge role um, with with climate. Um, what I see for, for a positive uh, into the future. So there's a lot of activity and a lot of interest in, in that as a sector. You've seen, you know, um, carbon offsets or uh, you know, looking at you know, different opportunities with, with carbon sequestration, uh, regenerative farming, the ability to generate carbon units for Australian you know, carbon credit units, ACUs. Um, so you know, that brings in another pool of capital that does look at the sector from either an, an additional revenue line or you're looking at it from an offset perspective. And you know that that industry is still in its infancy, and it will play out. But to give you some data sets, there you've you've got if you look at the ASX 150, the Australian Stock Exchange 150 companies, almost a little over 50% of the capital uh, on the ASX 150 has net zero targets into 2050, whether it's 2030, 2040, to 50, um, which represents about one trillion dollars worth of capital. So. You've got this wall of capital here locally that have got net zero commitments um, that's driven by consumers. And then you've got capital domestically and capital offshore that are looking for those opportunities. So it'll just continue to develop as a market. Uh, And I see that there's opportunities, um, you know, at the farm gate and farmers traditionally as custodians of the land have always done their best to ensure, you know, soil health, All these factors that now we call regenerative farming and they've done it for a long time. So it's great to see that there's, there's opportunity and benefit.
1: Yeah, I think the space for us as farmers is pretty exciting looking at the next 20 years for us to have the opportunity to collect the data that will be fed into what carbon farming is, sequestering your carbon credits and your ACUs. But as you said, like it's not as developed as it will be further down the line and as we see that the investors will probably get a lot more value from more farmers coming on and just seeing what we can do with it as well. Um, right. at the yeah. Farm. yeah. And you're hopeful Jack that that influences
0: the succession. And what I mean by that, it, it, it entertains more people such as yourself to participate in the game because you know, one, they know they can make a quid. I think when we talk about farmland values, it's, it is difficult for an entry point uh, in that respect. But again, the, the profitability that we've seen within the sector, um, you know, may influence you know, some of those and there's like, you know, younger people to, to enter uh, the game as well, where, you know, no one wants to go out and sort of bust their back and, and do it for a lifestyle and not really, you know, see much for it. Um, and and you got to put a price on happiness as well, but um to see, you know, the, the profitability in the sector at the moment. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just really encouraging, right? And when I, I mentioned I left Orange in 2001, it was kind of like if you wanted to, you know, go and pursue what I wanted to, you had to leave town. Now you don't. And in yeah. fact, now people, not just through COVID, but there's been a lot of decentralisation, a lot of larger agri-funds, um, not just government departments, but private enterprises. You know, you look at what's happened in Dubbo, Wagga. Orange, Tamworth, you follow that down through Victoria, you go across South Australia, Western Australia, Queensland. So I think that's a, a fantastic sort of tip of the hat to, to the industry as well. And then how that's maintained in terms of that momentum and how we can continue to work through that where you don't sort of have, you know, hey, things are great and then, <laughs> you know, we go we go down the valley because, of course, we're going to go back through a cycle. There's no doubt. And and no one thinks it's all beers and skittles, but yeah, you know, you've got to ensure that you know when things things are going well, uh, we've got to look at how we can ensure that you know we mitigate risks going forward. And and you know, farmers do that you know better than any sort of you know group in terms of how they look at their business as
1: well. Yeah, I think it's very much the case. Like Dubbo in town here is flying off the wall. You can't get a car spot car park anywhere. Um, without going around the roundabout a couple of times. I did that today, actually. But like as a young person coming in on farm, I actually left because of the drought in 17. I thought I'd go get someone else's money rather than family farms. Um, and yeah, I've been drawn back into it right now. Because it's exciting. The prices are all there. Um, and there are these other things going on that we can trial out. I'm running the podcast now, but like carbon farming and everything's coming into it. It's a pretty exciting space mm-hmm. to be in. Yeah, well, I had a,
0: a mate of mine um, who yeah, left the farm, came down to Sydney, did what I did. He's a few years younger than me, uh, and he's just upping stumps and going back to the family farm. Um, he will head back there very shortly, and he said that he just looked at it longer term and said for him to remain um, you know, in Sydney in a white-collar profession, his view was on his earnings potential over his time farming was a better fit for what he was doing uh, and and he overlaid that with you know lifestyle and yeah. what it brings and you know sydney and, and big cities aren't for everyone either um, so you look at that and that's just an anecdotal story but you know it shows that it's starting to you know attract those type of people back in and, and even when i moved back to orange right and you know, I'd have to go to the back roads to drop my son at school, and I went to school Orange High, and we come down the road to drop my son at the, the infants, and um, you know, the the traffic was just back back, and I was like, mate, what, what's happening here? This is, <laughs> I mean, that was like, you know, it's a it's a lifetime ago now, mate, like mid nineties when I was at, you know high school, and that's probably being kind, but um, yeah, you, know, you look at that, you go to coffee shops, and and it was great to connect with a lot of old you know, mates and new people that had come in and you could really feel there was a real vibe in the place and not just, oh, they, you know, you play rugby together or whatever, there was all different, you know, things that were going on and different interests and and new people coming into town and and sort of, you know, getting into the groove pretty quickly, which I think is important because it's can be quite isolating coming, you know, you didn't go to school and kind of like when you come down to to a bigger city, right? So, yeah, I just found that, you know, that, that, the place was pretty welcoming and um yeah you look at dubbo made and it was always uh yeah, we had a great rivalry when I, I remember when we played rugby and against That's the dubbo ruse when i was an old an Aggie but we used to get flogged um but yeah and and then it's you know chalk and cheese from what you see there so it's um yeah it's just really positive I, I, I just um, really enjoy seeing it and you know it's a rising tide right you want all everyone to be successful the way to build the biggest tower is just build the biggest tower. You don't go and tear others down. Um, yeah, you want to be supportive and, um, you know, to, to play people in the gaps and and work from there. So yeah, what you see at the moment is fantastic.
1: Yeah. I think if we create agriculture is quite persistent and resilient, um, that sustainability and the regional towns will continue to flourish right through as well. So it's good to see. But, like let's get back into like private capital investments. What are investors actually currently looking for? What types of investment, like farm, types of farms, um, scalability or like what are the brackets of where they're looking or what are the hot brackets at the moment in terms yeah. of figures?
0: Yeah, I think it's a good, good question, Jack. And, and, you know, we don't see any one sector – as red hot like you could go back and look at cycles and say well it was it was red meat northern australia it was almonds southern australia was macadamias you know we're seeing you know quite buoyant conditions across all those sort of asset classes and commodities supported yeah. by you know the fundamentals uh we went through and if you work it up from you know the ground up you know the, the rationale is going to, going to differ at the moment uh i'll give you a couple of anecdotes from two deals that we've one we're doing recent at the moment, and one we did closed at um, Christmas time last year. So that was that deal was um, you know about twenty two thousand hectares of, sort of cattle production and sort of fodder operations in Central Queensland. Um, it was a portfolio of assets of five assets that um, lent themselves in one line as an aggregation or individually, um, and where we saw the, the weight. Of appetite was for those individual assets where the, the neighboring or district operators were chasing scale and it was an arbitrage on, on the ECI on on cattle prices right so we want more more ground more grass more kilos some of those properties had some some water licenses to grow um some fodder on a pivot laquina l- 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 and some improved pasture uh and, and that portfolio traded you know very strongly and when we transacted on that it was a offshore so european family office that that had engaged us to to divest the asset and you know it sold for a hundred mil um and sold to to six sort of buying groups uh locally um so that's where you're looking at you know an opportunity in that cycle where groups were really looking for scale and looking for grass and 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 sort of what that meant Um, and then you know a large sort of opportunity we're working on the moments in the irrigation space, and again, you know, obviously we can't talk out of school, but you know there's a there's a lot of capital that's looking at the opportunity given the reliability of the water and you know the scale of the, the scale of the operation. Um, but that's you know more at that institutional sort of corporate. Uh, and then if we look at other sort of sectors as we work um, work through. You know, it all comes down to groups looking at strategic rationale. Uh, What are we looking for? What are the opportunities? How do we scale? And then what's driving that access to finance? Overlay that against you know strong commodity prices and a strong season, and the equity values and the retained earnings are generating on farms. So, so I think there's um, there's good opportunity that still works through that sector. I don't see there's any one. You know, we're looking at stuff in WA. There's stuff across dairy. You know, tree nuts, red meat, pork, <laughs> cotton. Yeah, you, you know, it's it's quite bleak conditions. And and again, you'll, you'll you'll see cycles. We're doing you know a lot of work through uh, sort of midstream you know, food manufacturing, food processing. Uh, where groups are looking for opportunity to scale um, through equity uh, and looking through yeah you know, to for for growth to to fund sort of the. Um,
1: you know, scale out or, or further profitability within the operation. Yeah, know. So for the investors, are they do they like to keep in their own channels? Say like if they're chasing red meat, they only want red meat investments or like they're looking for the higher valued, whichever one's got the most turnover for the same amount of investment. So for like a macadamia farm might produce the same as 22,000 hectares, I don't know. But is it like that or they, they like to keep in their channels? Yeah, typically groups will, Jack, and it depends on, you know, if you've got
0: a, you know, a, a farming operation that's red meat, right, they're still an investor, um, but they're going to play in their channel, right, because they're scaling out a strategic, you know, operation. When you look at an investor that, you know, call it a corporate or institution-type capital, you um, you know, they'll have, typically they'll have a, an allocation um, to natural resources from a broader fund. So they'll raise capital in maybe, they call it the head sort of co, um, that goes in down in, into infrastructure and a whole range of assets and there'll be a natural resource allocation. And that's to be deployed. They'll have certain hurdles or investment targets that they need to meet, uh, which lend themselves to certain portfolios. A lot of those groups, um, you know, do have certain, it's a red meat strategy, uh, we're looking at a you know, a tree nut strategy, or we may be looking at, at whatever um, that may be. And a lot of it's driven by the, the investment returns that they require, um, or they're looking at opportunities where they can scale and they can develop an aggregation, and it might be more of a development play as well to improve those you know, farmland values. So. Um, converting some, some grazing into cropping or looking on a cropping aggregation where they might be able to increase the economies of scale internally through through other systems and uh, and the like to, to improve a return per megalitre. So it, it does differ um, and some will stick to the channel and, and some will look at more diversified um, portfolios as well within, the, within that sort of um, you know,
1: agri-class. We've like the current market inflation quite high and everything what's what's the return on investment that people are like as a minimum sort of looking for when they're looking to invest in farmland whatever type whatever variety it is like around the yeah i think that, yeah oh look
0: i think it's, it's it's kind of a difficult one to answer because if you, you know, if it's a larger investment group and they might have, you know, an allocation into to equities and getting a really strong return in the share market, right? Yeah. Um, and they're overlaying, you know, some of those funds into a, a natural resource farmland strategy because it's not correlated. Um, you, you know, the typical returns, I'll still want a return, you know, a cash return, return on capital. And then obviously there's going to be a capital return. So you have a cash and capital. Um, that'll be a blended return over a period. Um, But, you know, you'll find that those return hurdles will vary from from group to group um, because it comes down to, you know, a group may be able to raise some of their funding at a lower cost of capital and they might be, you know, 10 or 20-year money. So, therefore, they're able to accept a lower return hurdle than than a group that might be more private equity focused. So, they might be after double-digit returns. So, then they'll need to move further downstream, right? away from the farm gate traditionally and move into some of that midstream kind of higher value. But obviously the risk parameters change as well uh, as they look at that. So it's it's sort of horse, horses for courses when you're developing, you know, a portfolio strategy for a client and, and helping them where they're pointing their lens and what may lend itself, um, you know, to, to those sort of typical acquisitions that they might pursue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for Oxy Partners, what, what deals... What's the broad range that you've done so far? Like, what's the highest and what's the lowest that you've gotten through the books? Yeah, well, as I mentioned
0: before, we, we yeah, you know, we're an independent firm, so we don't have any hard or fast minimum fee thresholds. Um, just given, you know, what where we look at, so we really just focus, you know, client by client on deals. We're focused on food and ags. We can go narrow and deep. So we may, you know, look to raise, you know, a couple of million dollars um, for a, you know, food and beverage company for, for growth within their business. It uh, could be a ready-to-eat, ready-to-heat meal business, uh, or we could work on a, you know, a farmland transaction worth several hundred million um, in, in that context. And that's because we've got, you know, very strong sort of agricultural production knowledge within our business, which plays across the supply chain. Uh, And that may be right across if a a client is diverse, um, vertically sort of integrated through that diversity strategy. Uh, And then, as I mentioned, because we don't have any hard or fast rules on that, we will work um, for client to client. And as long as it can work um, for us, and talking about that um, from that context means, do we believe we bring value to a client? And this sounds like a sale, but, you know, if you don't bring value and you, it's outside of your wheelhouse um, because it's not in your sweet spot, we'll, we'll refer that on to somebody that we believe would do a, a, a good job. And then, you know, obviously, we're an advisory sort of firm that works on a, a fee to typically like a retainer and success fee model. Um, so you've got to make sure, you know, your incentive and your, is there and you align your interests. Uh, with your client, and then you can kind of set and forget the fee and just focus on the process um, as opposed to the outcome and just ensure that you're doing what you can sort of day in, day out in a pragmatic fashion and your team sort of brings the best and and the outcome, you'll be able to influence it, but you sort of don't get caught up, you know, at the back end or get ahead of yourself. Um, You sort of rest at the end, sort of not in the middle, um, to borrow a Kobe Bryant quote. Um, so that, that's where we sort of look at that. And then it's just, yeah, most of ours is done through, you know, relationship-driven. We'll, we'll do repeat work for clients. We'll have, you know, inbound work that comes through from, you know, offshore that yep. may be looking to divest or acquire an asset. Uh, we'll work with some founder-led businesses in sort of, you know, uh, midstream sort of FMCG-type work down to, you know, farm gate uh, operators on, on where we participate there.
1: It was quite a, like a unique position. Um, I could talk all day or I'll keep asking you more questions about it because I find the space pretty interesting. If I ever fall through on the family farm, I might hit you up for a job. Mm. Well, it's helpful because we're just coming into our FY23 strategy and
0: forecasting, so it's uh, you're asking me a couple of a, a good questions for us to consider as well because, you yeah, know, we're always you, – you've got to look a lot longer term and you have that lens on where you see a market and and a business, but then you've got
1: to, you know, execute, you know, in the moment uh, and work through them. What's your long-term, 25 years or is it five? Long-term, 25 years, who knows what's happening in 20, I think long-term's 12 months in this environment. Um, No,
0: I'd say a long-term's more, you know, three to five sort of year on how we would forecast, you know, one that's more of a strategic uh, on, on where we, you know, where do we want our business? Um, you know, how do we provide opportunities um, for our client and for our people? Um, you know, what products can we develop through that period? Um, obviously, we're, we're quite cyclical with revenue, uh, being an advisory business. How do we develop products to create annuity-like revenue? We'll, we'll look at all of those factors. Um, but try to really simplify, not just chase all these shiny things. Um simplify what our strategy is where we play where our sweet spot where we bring value and then you know ensure that we've got you know great people internally um empower them get out of their way let them do what they need to do and then yeah just always think about your client when you what you can do you know it's sort of it's a bit funny like that jack where you know it might sound a bit wanky you know think about your client and all that but you know, the work that you do for them, um, you know, can be highly emotive. It might be, you know, we've built this farming operation over two, three gen generations and, and we're divesting, um, you, you know, and and we're empowered to ensure that we handle that transaction, not just to maximise value, but to ensure that we bring integrity to a process and we look after the interests of stakeholders. on both the vendor and and obviously the incoming purchaser, because sometimes that could play a role. It could be a a founder-led business, and they have just developed a a new, you know, sort of non-alcoholic beverage line, um, and they want us to go and assist them raise some growth growth equity, growth capital, um, and making sure they get connected with the right people that are going to really help them grow the business and look after them. So you, you become, you know, more of a... A kind of almost a spiritual advisor to some of these people where you know they'll call you up and just talk to you about whatever you'll talk to about kids and different aspects of their life and you may only do one transaction but you you may be your friends or connected with them and the great thing about agri it's such a small small world that the same type of people come up on different transactions and you know, it's like, you know, your reputation takes a lifetime to build, you know, and seconds to sort of tear up. So you've got to really look at, you know, the longer-term um, consequences of your action in the space, how you treat people, how you want people to treat you, uh, and then just bringing your best and, and making sure, you know, you're executing and you do what you say you're going to do. And, you know, then things look after themselves and, and you know, you just work with great people. Um, and it's it's really encouraging and a rewarding sort of space to be in in that sense. And I've been, you know, in certain business transactions and, and things where you're just like, wow, like how could you work for these people? Or, you know, how can you do that? And, yep. um, you know, then you work for a lot of people that you just, you learn from as well um, and how they conduct themselves and, and how they go about it. And, yeah, the rest sort of looks after itself, mate. I mean, it's just a... Yeah, you, 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 it's the mindset that, that, you, that you need to have around growth yep. and, and how you attract people. Um, and our business is about people, right? Yep. Whether it's your client or whether it's your staff.
1: Yeah, same as on-farm on, on farm as well. Um, but backtracking just quickly, well, like, do you recommend for people that are selling out their farm as an exit plan or however it may be, do you reckon, recommend to take, like, the emotions out because – Like, that can be a key driver of what you sort of want or get in the end, I imagine. Mm. Like, we sold our family farm that we all sort of grew up in. We had it nearly 100 years, and there was a few years shed before and after sale um, just because, like, we're so connected to that piece of land. Um, Never wanted to leave, but, like, sometimes you have to. What do you recommend, like, from your point of view? Yeah, how you take the emotion
0: out of a transaction, um, I just don't know if you you can entirely, Jack. And yeah, I I'd I'd hate to see if you did. Like I'm a highly emotive person myself. Like that's what it is. Whether that means you you know you you you're angry, you're laughing, and what that is. And and you mentioned the tears you shed. It's because you cared. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And that could be because you had a deep affinity with. You know what went down on, on, on farm and family and and that's one thing that you know I really miss um you know as family I've been away for 20 odd years in the in the in the city um built my own family but I don't have any sisters or or anyone down here right so um you know we're farming for good and bad reasons yeah you, you're, you're working with family members um And you know, we see some people like, oh, you know, Jackie, you know, blah blah blah, and he's pulling my hair out. And I sort of look at it and I say, you know, that's just a great, you know, thing to have. And people always say, you know, don't mix family and business. And um, but I think, you know, life's short. Um, you know, nothing is certain. And you know, you want to spend your time, you know, with the people you love. And And that's where, you know, with the family connection on family farms and I see it as just a highly emotive, um, you know, in that sense. And I'd I'd hate to think that you'd you'd take it out of a transaction because it might cloud your judgment. Yes, it it may. Um, But on the other side, you know, the investors we deal with that come in, you might think they're just, you know, um, no emotion at all. They're highly emotive because they've got a various range of factors that they've got to achieve. Everyone is dealing with whatever's going on inside their head, whether you get your kids won't do their homework, um, you've got to study for an exam, you've got drought pressures, you've got financial pressures, you've got all this sort of stuff. So everyone's going through that and it's going to influence and you sort of say, oh, you just leave it at the door. It's very hard to do. Some people hide it better than others, but you just become a sociopath otherwise and you get around. So I kind of prefer just to you know, you are who you are and be who you are. And I think that's just a level of, um, you know, stripping back your insecurities as well. Um, so I don't mind that, you know, the emotions, uh, and it's our role to deal with some of that. Some of it's a bit unwarranted at times, but most of the time, you know, clients are pretty sweet. They might, you know, have questions around certain aspects and you work through it. Um, but, yeah, that's just the emotional
1: <laughs> nature of what we do and, and, and who we are as humans. Yeah, it's a bit of a roller, coaster, a roller coaster, isn't it, working within agriculture and especially with clients and people trying to leave their farms and sell it, get a good price. But, like, for you currently, you'd be giving value to the farmers that are both selling up but also that investor and connecting them in between. They're getting a good, solid investment both on capital and their production. Mm-hmm and also the farmers leaving and you get a good price.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good point, Jack. And, and you look at purpose and how do you deliver purpose in a transactional driven, you know, firm or environment, and how do you give your people purpose. And, you know, we, we've had some, some fantastic, you know, conversations with clients on, on, a, you know, at the end of a transaction and how that's worked and what that's meant for the family. And it's, um, and we've got, you know, I mentioned founder-led businesses that that's really kicked them along. And you talk to them down the track and the evolution of what they've looked at on their, their side. And um, yeah, you you you've got to look at that as well and how you you deal with you know clients and and and, and the thing about you know you talk about trust and to build trust is it really comes through intimacy. Um, and 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 this might sound a bit funky. Um, <laughs> when I mean that, but it's about being vulnerable um, in, in that space as well, rather than just show your reliability, your credentials and all that. There's a level of vulnerability, intimacy in a relationship where someone needs to go first, right? If you think about it in the context of, of your dog in the background, you want your dog to, you know, show, show you that it loves you, you've got to show it. You, someone's got to go first in the relationship. And, and that's true in, in, in the world we live in. It might feel a bit sort of, you know, um, cold and, you know, it's transactional and blah, 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 but it's, a, you know, it's, it's a highly sort of emotive game and, and, and the relationships, you know, that are driven uh, in that aspect as well. So, uh, you, you know, working through that um, I think is an important aspect and it gets back to my point I mentioned before around the family farm connection and you end up sort of becoming not part of a family, but part of a very important sort of decision tree in a lot of those aspects as well. Uh, and, and you know, the purpose and, and connecting capital and what we bring, um, you definitely get a, you know, a real sense of that um, in a tangible manner, um, particularly playing, you know, in agriculture.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very, like, it's... Not- exciting role to be in like for yourself, but like off the back of that, what are you yeah. so excited or what are you excited about for the ag industry today in the next few years? Well,
0: if you, if you look at what can be achieved with the current seasonality and profitability in farms and, and we're looking at the transition into a, a lot of ag tech sort of our IoT technology, um, and, and we were talking about that earlier on. So I reckon there's a there's a fantastic opportunity we look at there. There's there's opportunities for additional revenue streams through the transition um, to a net zero environment. And you know politics aside, whichever way you look at that, it's occurring. Uh, and and farming and agricultural is going to play a huge role in a positive manner. Uh, for that, we've got equity valuations within the local farming communities that are very high and profitability. So we're seeing a real sort of connection on that social fabric uh, in that sense. And then, you know, just the agricultural as its own asset class punching above its weight um, and attracting a lot of interest uh, and capital, be that local offshore. Um, and I, I think it's just a, a really positive message Um that's being portrayed and um, you mentioned sort of the shining a light on agriculture at the start of our call. And uh, I think it's a, it's a great one to do that because it'll facilitate, you know, liquidity and capital into a market as well, um, which just creates opportunity.
1: Yeah. I think I see it as if we work on our internals, which is I'm trying to pump up farmers through the podcast. It will really shine that light into agriculture more as well as trying to get people to come in for jobs, investors like what you're dealing with day to day. And like that's just going to have its core purpose built out from that.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I agree with that. And even, you know, when you look at people that we hire as well, Jack, and people that are, you know, more sort of transactional MA type gurus yep. that don't necessarily have an affinity with farming, but can see agriculture as, as a longer-term position for them to play in from, you know, a, a transactional standpoint. You see a lot of, um, you know, valuation firms, real estate firms, um, some of these are regional-based, city-based, um, and it develops a, you know, there's a real ecosystem in terms of the production of Farmgate through a services industry. Um, so as I mentioned before, it's a rising tide.
1: Yeah. Well, Ben, we'll round it off there, mate. Thanks for coming on and answering my questions. If I was a bit out of depth there, um, my apologies. But great to hear from like another aspect. You're the first sort of person in the private capital space, and great to get that aspect. I imagine a few farmers were keen to see what it's like working with Oxley Partners there, and farmers being the pivot in between the investor and the farms itself.
0: No, thank you, Jack. Um, I think I was probably the one out of depth, but we may have helped each other out, um, fumbling around on the dance floor. Um, so, no, I think, I think it's, um, you know, it's great to, to come on and have the discussion. And, and I really, you know, I'm encouraged about what you've been able to achieve as well um, on the podcast. And it's just a, you know, a great connector uh, in the industry and, you know, the power of storytelling uh, when, when you're, we talk about you know, intimacy and developing trust in relationships and storytelling is a huge part of that and and how you get onto common footing as well and I sort of, you know, don't want to bang on about COVID but I liken COVID to everyone was supporting the same sporting team so, you know, all of a sudden you had <laughs> common footing you're going, I'm homeschooling, it's killing me you know, it's driving me insane or hey look, I've been stuck in this house and I got a bloody three or four flatmates, and and you know we're all, so you were kind of all going through, you know these these aspects as well, and and so in an agricultural context, you you you're in a community that you know you, you've got very similar, um, you know fears and aspirations and the like that you know people can really identify with, and and that's that culture that. You know, I just have been so drawn to and so appealing for me. Um, Even though I've been out of the, you know, the the bush for a long time, my role gets me back as often as I can. And um, you know, I find it uh, without that, you you, kind of you need to freshen up and get over the the mountains or up the Queensland or over in the west. And uh, yeah, so it's good, mate. And um, yeah, appreciate your time and for having me on. And and hopefully uh, people out there have taken some insights um, and I've done my role in promoting Orange further <laughs> what, I, what I can, um, which is, uh, yeah, really good and um, good to have someone, you know, that sort of central-west connection.
1: Absolutely. Dubbo's only an hour and a half down the road, i say. Dubbo's a little bit better getting there anyway. It is, mate. We'll, we'll, we'll get there finally. Mate, well, thanks for coming on. A couple of questions left. For Farms Advice podcast, who else would you like to hear on here and why? Um, look, I think there's um, you know, when you look at some of the, the transition
0: or the energy transition, um, what we spoke about, I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity um potentially to have some of those um, groups on as well, yeah. uh, where people are you know doing it on at the farm gate or there where people are looking at it from even some of the carbon advisory like carbon neutral. Um, the guys at Reputex um, do a lot of policy pricing uh, and the like in that space because I, I believe there's a, you know, there's a real frontier aspect to what's occurring uh, in that space and it's it's very exciting and, you know, I don't know enough about it and that I'd like to learn more uh, from. So hearing, you know, those type of uh, firms or people talking about it and then just people on you know, on farm, they've got those projects and whether it's, you know, it doesn't need to be all about carbon and that aspect, you know, biodiversity offsets and the like. And I think they're, they're just really you know, good tangible conversations
1: that you can take, take insight and value out of. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think everyone's got something to say some evergreen content that can just roll on year on year and you'll be able to get a few elements from it. So I try to get people to, at least just take one key takeaway. So I think there's about 16 or something um, in your episode. So thanks for coming on, mate. For anyone that wants to contact <laughs> you or the team at Oxy Partners, how can we do so? Uh, just typically just via
0: email, yep. um, which I don't know if you put up in your show notes uh, or just via LinkedIn. Yep. I'm not, um, not one for Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I'm, as I mentioned, I'm sort of the mid '90s. My, my uh, glory days are, are sort of, you know, sit in that aspect there. So yeah, as I mentioned, like LinkedIn, we do, you know, a lot around, and, and it's great. And then just connecting with, um, you know, directly in that sense, and you know, happy to have it, yarn, and you know, if there's there's some insight that some people have learnt, and um, yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, just a great uh, channel and and
1: what you've been able to achieve as well, Jack. Yeah, definitely. Well, LinkedIn is where we connected in the first place, I think. So it's a great tool for farmers um, trying to be a bit more professional and get on there and you don't have to wear a suit, so it's all good. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of social media, man. Thank you for tuning in to the Farms Advice Podcast. It is produced by Advert Digital, the agribusiness marketing specialist. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more information on this episode and the others before, and spread the farm's advice. If you love this episode, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe as it helps other farmers find us too. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Farm's Advice podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country for Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.